Welcome to the Fostering Change Podcast, Season 3. I'm Rob Shear, the founder of Comfort Cases and your host. Together, we have made such a difference in the world. We've met with leaders and change makers in the foster care system. We've met with charities and philanthropists, celebrities, authors, and so much more. We'll continue to bring you guests who will share how together, as a community, we can bring about change. Welcome once again to Fostering Change. Well, you know, here is another episode of Fostering Change. And one thing that I actually love about this podcast is I am located right outside of our nation's capital, and I get to talk to people just not all over the country, but all over the world. And so my next guest, he is actually the chief executive of Nationwide Association of Fostering. Now, um, I actually was at an event over the weekend, and I met some people from um, Panama, the Dominican Republic. There were people there from Brazil. It was an international conference that I was the keynote speaker. And every single one of them walked up to me. And every single one of them had the same exact story. And that is about foster care. And that's exactly what we're going to talk about today. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome my guest, Harvey Gallagher. Harvey, welcome to Foster and Change. Thank you. And thanks for inviting me. Delighted to be here. I want to jump right in. So you are, for short, it's NAFP, correct? It's a not-for-profit organization that has been campaigning on behalf of the UK independent fostering agencies and the children for whom they care for for the last 12 years. Now, my question to you is the, what is an independent fostering agency? Okay, okay. So in the UK, we have about 70,000 children living with foster carers. Those foster carers themselves can either work for one of our local authorities in England and in Scotland and Wales, the lo- local government, or they work for an independent agency. So the independent agencies are the agencies which my organisation works with. And our job is to help those agencies do the very best that they can for the children who are living with their foster carers. So very much like here in the United States, we have, you know, we have our county agency and then underneath our county agencies, we have private agencies and the county actually contracts with those private agencies. Are those private agencies for profit or are they still nonprofit? Because we have some here in our country that are actually for profit. Yeah, yeah. We have a mixture. It's a, it's a completely mixed sector. So we have some charities, some cooperatives, some not-for-profits, some privates. The vast majority of them are very small organisations, small businesses by and large, that are probably started by a foster carer or a social worker who worked in local government, who did the foster care there, and they've decided they would set up their own small independent fostering agency because they want to do things their own way. You know, so the thing that really gets me is, and and I'm just going to rip the Band-Aid off because I am known, and again, I'll get the emails and all of that. You know, even the fact that we even have one, even one for-profit agency and that it is allowed, it is exactly what I say all the time, an industry that makes money on the backs of children, when that's not what should happen. Instead, we should financially set these kids up for success. But when you started, you said you have roughly about 70,000 children in the UK that are in foster care right now. So my question to you, because this is the issue we have here in, in the US, is that everybody has a different number. 
So you are probably my third guest from the UK. All three of you have given me a different number. Um, I interview, you know, I think that I'm on episode like 160 some and every single person in the United States, if I ask them that question, they all give me a different number. So what that tells me is that number one, we don't have one collective database. Okay, we're really not in in our country, I can tell you right now, we're not, there's so many kids that are not being counted for. Um, why is there such a, a difference? And by the way, the difference is about 15,000 from what you're telling me compared to what someone told me just last week. I would say the difference is because they're answering different questions. We do know, we do know how many children are in foster care. So there are about 57,000, 58,000 children in foster care just in England. So if you said to somebody, how many children in foster care in your country, are they answering for England or they're answering for the whole of the United Kingdom? So that would be one difference. The other difference is, is we have some children who are in care, but live at home with their birth parents. So they're not in foster care, but they're in care. So explain that for me. So, so explain that for, to our listeners and viewers. So, so you have a child who is in care, living mm. with their bio parents. Mm. Tell me what? How? First of all, I want to know how that works. I want to know yeah, yeah. how it all happened. I want to know all about that. Yeah. Because um, yeah. that's the first time I've heard something like that. Well, I guess it's likely to be a voluntary arrangement where the parents have agreed to it, rather than anything else, because it was something more serious. The children would be going and living with somebody else, with a foster carer, for instance. So it's just a way where the local authority and the social workers are judging how they can give that family intensive support, so they can get them back on their feet, so that things will go smoothly otherwise. Because for any child, being taken out of their family home, the home that they're growing up in, no matter how traumatic an experience they're having whilst they're there, moving is a traumatic experience. So I guess social workers have that very difficult decision to make about, okay, this child will be better off in one a very obvious sense if they live in a different home, but the process of moving them will be traumatic as well. So how do I account for that? And is that all the difficulties they're having at home enough for me to warrant saying that they should be moved somewhere else completely different? So I guess it's, it's that sort of judgment call. So what type of support are they receiving if the child is staying with their bio parents, but still classified in care? Yeah, well, parents support with their parenting, with their parenting capacity, with their parenting skills, in developing their relationship with their children, and understanding what their children's behavior is, where it comes from. So it, it would be around, it would be around helping them to be good enough parents. So, is there any financial type of you know support when it comes to that? Well, it's not impossible, but it's unlikely. I mean, it's certainly true that poverty is a huge factor in a lot of families that are struggling. I mean, I often think, in a sense, what we don't need is care. We need to, to, to get rid of poverty because that would solve the vast majority of our problems in, in one fell swoop. So there's no doubt that a lot of families who are struggling as parents where the kids are being mistreated or other things, poverty is a huge factor, as well as the other obvious factors of drugs, alcohol, domestic violence, etc. So, so finance is an issue, there's no doubt about it. I, you know, Harvey, because I've always said, first of all, foster care is not the answer. We have proven throughout the centuries now that the only thing that foster care does is 
traumatize the child even more than already what the child has already been traumatized being with birth parents. And one of the things that I, you know, am very, very adamant when it comes to foster care is that we must do everything, everything to keep the child with their bio parents. So unless, unless there is a active case of abuse um, to this child, um, we need to figure out how to keep the child, you know, with the parents. And as you know, here in our country, um, we have 64% of our kids who are actually removed from homes for the word neglect. The word neglect is defined everywhere differently. And neglect, in my opinion, is no more than poverty. And so if you're able to give a stranger, and by the way, these kids are going to strangers' homes, if you're able to give a stranger a stipend, you know, and you have this care that, which by the way, I love the model. I absolutely love the model. What I, you know, I've always said it, you know, the first thing we should do is try to bring somebody into the family to stabilize the family, you know, because a lot of times once you stabilize the family, you start on, you know, oh, that, that mother, you know, she didn't have a role model. So she didn't know how to properly nurse this child or the father who had nobody in this home or the man had his home just kept whipping him with the belt. He didn't know how to talk and how to, you know, so I always think that you need to bring somebody into the family and stabilize him. But I do believe that there needs to be a finance as well, since we choose, and by the way, for those of you who are listening, I know I'm going to get the, the hate, we choose not to pay a living wage. I mean, it's, it's a controversial topic in this country, I don't know about in your country as well, but for governments to pay families just to look after the children, I think they would get lots of hate mail about it. I'm not saying it's not a good idea because you're absolutely right. Pay somebody else to look after your children. If we can pay you and actually it improves things a lot, it sounds like a sensible idea, doesn't it? But politically here, that would be a hugely controversial. Oh, it would be huge here too, by the way, my friend, Harvey. We do things very mirror image. Don't forget, yeah. there was one time your queen was our queen as well. <laughs> so we <laughs> truly... We truly do. We we have the same political climate that people would be up in arms. But what I what I feel, and again, I don't believe that it should be everybody gets a check and everybody gets a check forever. I believe that it gives them an opportunity to get them on their feet. One, daycare is a huge expense here in the United States, and we see lots of children coming into the system because the bio parents have left the child at home alone because they couldn't afford daycare, but they were, they were trying to make sure they went to a job. Okay, so, you know, help, let's help them with daycare. You know, that's just, the next thing is education. You know, in our country, it is so expensive for someone to get an education. And so once you I mean, I look at it this way. You're 15 years old and all of a sudden you have a baby. OK, the chances of your success um, are so low that if maybe we stepped in and was like, you know, first of all, maybe we stepped in before that the child of 15 would have had the baby. But even now the baby is here, you know, opening up the doors. I just think that I love the model that you all have where the kids stay with the bio parents. I just feel like is it a band-aid because are we truly addressing, you know, mostly a lot of the poverty part of it? Sure, I agree. And, you know, it is financially driven because to keep a child in care costs money. 
it's an expensive proposition for the state. So the state is spending lots of money. Actually, keeping a child at home, let's be honest with you, even a child moving to live with grandparents is a much cheaper option, much cheaper option for the state. And I'm not suggesting that social workers and team leaders sitting around are actively saying, let's go for the cheaper option. I don't think they are. But there's no doubt in an environment where local authorities actually do not have enough money to spend on this stuff cost is bound to come into it. But you know what, Harvey, I mean, I can tell you right here in the United States that um, there are many public figures who are politicians who are sitting back and they're trying every possible way to save every single penny. And yeah. we have seen a wave within our country of reunification. And by the way, I am all for reunification, but we have seen so many children get reunified when they should not have been reunified. And the next thing you know, we're reading about them in the papers buried somewhere deep where the child has been killed. And we, we're seeing that more than I could ever imagine in our country. I think sometimes that, um, that motto that you said before about family being best People sometimes wrap that up as a way of saying, we don't want to have to take responsibility or pay for the consequences, at least in the short term. So it's kind of used as an excuse. Can I just go back to what you said about education, Rob? Because you, you, you had yeah. a really interesting sure. question. Yes. Yeah, I think for young people in foster care, we give up on their education too easily. And I think, so your young woman who has a baby at 15, so, so what, we know what that might do to her education. Very hard for that young woman to stay engaged in education. Now, when she's 25 and her child is 10, she might be ready. Why couldn't she do her education when she's 25? Why couldn't she go to college when she's 25? We sort of have this almost nuclear family model of you're here, you're at high school, you do, you do some other stuff when you're 17, 18, you may go to college, university, that's it, that's how it works. And, and it's, there's no flexibility for young people who, for whom that doesn't work. So she should have the opportunity for much longer to be able to go to college. I agree. Give up on them far too easily. Yep, I agree. And as Harvey said, we give up way too quickly on children in foster care, especially when it comes to their education. And by the way, I have more I want to talk about when we come back. We're going to take a quick break, everybody. Whether you're listening to us on any of your podcast platforms, Apple, Deezer, you know, Spotify, Google, cannot thank you enough. But maybe you also might decide that you want to subscribe to our YouTube channel and actually get to watch Harvey and I have this amazing conversation because, you know, I say this quite often, you know, your community is not your zip code. Your community is your human race. So truly what is happening with children in the UK, and you all know we have Comfort Cases UK, where we give cases out in the UK as well. But what happens to children in the UK affect us here in the US. And what affects us in the US affects our brothers and sisters in the UK. Don't forget that. We'll be right back. This episode of Fostering Change is sponsored by Comfort Cases, a national nonprofit that inspires our communities to bring hope and dignity to our youth that are in foster care. For just $10 a month, you can support the Comfort Case mission and help us eliminate trash bags for kids who are entering foster care. For every $10 that you give, Comfort Cases will give a Comfort XL to a child entering the system. Be part of the change. Visit comfortcases.org. You know what? 
I say it all the time, I love a good conversation. And I love a good conversation when we truly talk about things that most of us are not educated about. Most of us think to ourselves that the government, whether we're here or in the UK, are taking care of, as I say, our children, because they are our children. And we know that that's not the case. You know, Harvey, right before we took a break, we were talking about education. And this is a thing that we're seeing here in our country. And we've been seeing this pattern for about 24 months, where all of a sudden we have a governor in office, and the governor wants to do something to um, maybe boost their, you know, likability. And so they sign these bills that say, we're going to cover the tuition for children who are in foster care. Now, I've been reading all of these bills throughout the country as we see them. We just had one sign last week that we posted on our social media page. And it was the very first bill that I've seen throughout our country where finally they are saying, not only are we paying for the tuition, but we're gonna pay for the room and board. You know, because what I've always said is it's one thing for you to step up and pay for a child's education when it comes to tuition. The next thing that we must do is wrap around services especially for kids who are in foster care. And I believe that if a child comes into foster care, I don't care if that child is in foster care for just a year, okay? I believe that they should have free tuition at any school they want. The problem is, is we only limit them through that state. So in Delaware, they have to go to a school in Delaware. They can't go anywhere else. How do you all do this in the UK when it comes to kids who are in the foster care system and higher education? Yeah, it's, it's really problematic. And really very few kids in the UK who are in care go on to higher education. Some do. I mean, I, I can pick out one really shining example. We've got a charity called the Unite Foundation. And they're the charitable arm of a company called Unite Students. And Unite Students run student accommodation across the UK. So the Unite Foundation give entirely free accommodation to students from care for the whole duration of their degree course, three, four years, etc. And then they give them wraparound pastoral support as well. So that's absolutely brilliant. And I went, they were 10 years old last week or the week before, and I went to the, their birthday party. It's just amazing. They had some young people who'd been through the system who'd gone to university, been successful in university, talking about their experiences. And as if we didn't know already, but it reminded me, if you give young people a chance, they really turn into these shining stars of young adults. And it was so inspiring to see those young people who'd been through the system, yet managed. And that support for free accommodation was absolutely vital to them, because they don't have anywhere to go home to at Christmas, so they're on their own at Christmas. So these, the, the universities and accommodation put special help in them for the Christmas, check if they're okay, knock on their door, bring them some food parcels, et cetera. Just incredible. But, but also, you know, that not every young person in care knows about that. Not every young care aspires to it. And I said something before the break, Rob, I think we, do, we need to give them more time. If you've been in care, you might not be ready for higher education at 18 or 19, but you might be ready at 22, 23, 24, 25. And we need to have that degree of flexibility in the system as well. No, I agree with you 100%. You know, when all of a sudden, let me tell you something, my oldest son who's arrived at the age of 18, he had been in the system. And at the age of 18, my husband and I decided to have our fifth child. And we decided that we wanted an older child. And he, he arrived at the age of 18. He is now 21. He's just finished his sophomore year at college. And right now, you know, 
he doesn't really know what he, if he's, you know, able, what, if, what he wants to do. My daughter, who just graduated, 18 years old, she's like, I have no desire to go to college yet. I, I just, so kids should, I mean, having this time limit, you know, because we have it here in our country as well, by the way, if you're in foster care in the state of Maryland, you have to finish your schooling before you're 26 years old, or the state no longer will help pay for it. Well, you know what? Um, at 26, I don't think that I was ready. You know, I think we need to open up that pathway completely. You know, one of the things that we seem that we go through a lot here, and I have, I wonder how you you all deal with this in the UK, is the entire administration chaos that we go through. So for instance, you know, to become a foster parent, it is when my husband and I had, we did this 13 years ago. I mean, it was the hardest thing I can, it was crazy. I have, I have someone right now, a friend of mine, she'd been a foster parent for 10 years. She has had so many teen girls and boys in and out of her home. She meets the man of her dreams finally, and she gets married and she's told by the agency, your license is no longer good because now you're married. And so now you've got to start the process all over again. You know, it's like, come on. You know, what do you all do? And do you feel that, you know, so many times that we make it harder for foster parents to become foster parents when truly, truth be told, we really need homes? We do, we do. I guess my starting point is, we're gonna ask you a lot of tough questions if you wanna be a foster carer because somebody else's child is coming to live with you, probably experienced traumatic things in their early childhood. You're gonna to have to be a good person and the right person to cope with that. So we're gonna ask you some tough questions. And I think that has to be accepted. That aside, I think what you get from our system is not so much they're really tough on you, but they're chaotic and disorganized. So, you know, sometimes they get back to you, sometimes they won't get back to you. They take up some references, it might take some time to get them. We rely on doctors to do medical checks and medical reference. It varies across the country how effective or sometimes how willing you are to do those. So it's not as if it isn't tough anyway, and then it's tough in the right kind of way, but then you enter into this whole world of bureaucracy and paperwork, which you just don't understand. And actually you didn't really sign up for. What you signed up for was to have a young person living in your house who you could care for and help to get better and become a productive adult. You didn't sign up to enter a, a hellish lot of bureaucracy and admin. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? I, you know, let me tell you something. I don't have any issues with all the questions and that needs to be done. Background checks, all of that. I mean, you can sit there and look like whoever you want and you have no idea how you really are behind this, the scene. So I have no issues with all of that. I feel though we, we have so many parents who, by the way, um, maybe shouldn't have been parents who go through less than when it comes to, you know, and for, and here's the craziest thing, Harvey, you know, in our country, like one state doesn't even talk to the other state. So you can have a child in foster care in the district of Columbia, where you're not allowed to have bunk beds, by the way, can't have bunk beds. So, you know, but in the state of Maryland, which is 10 minutes away, you can have bunk beds. I mean, it just, it makes, it makes no sense, no sense, no sense. Listen, I can talk to you all day long, but I really want to end this conversation with something that is, is really worries me a lot in our country. And I want to know, what are you all doing? Because we are seeing such a turnover of 
foster parents. And the reason is, is because we do not have sufficient care when it comes to kids who are in the system. So you've got, you know, you have these children who are entering the system, they're traumatized. They're not only traumatized because they have been yanked from their their bio parents. And by the way, no matter how bad a bio parent is, it's their parent. And they 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 have blinders on when it comes to stuff like that. You know, but what we are noticing here in our country is that there's just not enough services to help these children, which then it's put being put on the foster parent. And the foster parent is just burnout after 18 months, and then the child ends up going to another home and another home and another home. Do you all have that within the UK? And what are you yeah, doing yeah, to help? Yeah, right? Very simplistically, yeah. I mean, I think COVID has really changed the rules for us. So COVID and lockdown, with all the things that happened three years ago and two years ago. So during that time, you'd have children in foster care who all of a sudden didn't really have any contact with anybody other than their foster carer and who else they were living with in their home. And for a lot of children in care, that was actually quite a positive experience, which sounds a bit counterintuitive because they spend time with their foster carer, they get to build a relationship, they don't have social work and others come in and ask them to remind them about their life history, filling in forms, ask them about views, etc. It's more akin to a family life where you just spend time with your, with your adult and do things with them. And so for lots of children in foster care, that was really good. The other side of that, of course, is there were children who were living at home that were invisible. So, so normal times, they'd be at school, they'd be out and about. If there were problems at home, somebody would spot it, a teacher would ask them what was going on. Lots of invisible children, of course. Now all of this is coming home to roost. We've now got children coming into care and young people coming into care. You know, as you sort of described earlier, Bob, as well, probably should have come into care sooner. And now they are in care. They're adolescents with very severe issues and displaying some really difficult and challenging behaviours. So... What kind of foster care is going to be able to, to, to manage that and do well for a young person in those circumstances? Not very many. They're a scarce resource. And so those young people inevitably end up living with other foster carers who maybe aren't quite as well equipped to cope with it. Right. So you have to put in extra support services. The support services are spread thinly. So, I mean, I don't know that the system is, is about to, to bust open, but there's no doubt that it's at a straining point. I agree with you. And I see that right here in the United States is, you know, I see those threads starting to pop. And especially because we've gone and done things like took away group homes. And it's like, you know, all of a sudden I'm hearing, okay, there's not a group home, but guess what? These kids are now sleeping in an office because we don't have enough beds here in the United States. Listen, Harvey, this conversation has been amazing. Everyone, if you want to find out more, you can go to NA, that's N-A-F- p.org.uk. You can find out more about this organization, more about how you can help. And again, it does affect you. Okay. If the children are in the UK, they're here in the United States, they're in Canada, they're in Brazil, wherever a child is in need, we need to step up because I remind you all, you invest in a child today, you actually invest in your your future tomorrow harvey thank you so much my friend for being on fostering thank change you. and i cannot wait for us to have another conversation absolutely thanks Rob. have a great day take care i want to say thank you to each and every one of you for listening or watching the latest episode of fostering change 
all of us on our team hope that you've learned something new today and have been inspired to be a good human. Now, just a reminder that you can always find Fostering Change on your favorite channels on Google, Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, and others including, of course, comfortcases.org. I want to give a big thank you to all of you for joining us each and every week. And a reminder that if you have a suggestion for a guest, or maybe you might have a question about today's podcast, or are interested in becoming a sponsor of Fostering Change, please don't hesitate to email me personally at fosteringchange at comfortcases.org. Now, that's it for now. Thanks again, and we'll see you next Tuesday. Take care.